Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right, and on that light note, let's get back to what we normally do. All right, so we started three services this morning. I don't know if you know that. You may have forgotten to get up early enough for the 8 o'clock service. Uh, but I did tell them it's great because it's like, um, have you ever gone on an airplane when there's just not a lot of people on the, on the plane and you sit down and you kind of get the whole row? You're like, this is, this is all right. So 8 o'clock service might be your empty airplane if you're, uh, if you're in for that moment. Also, uh, this is the last Sunday, so to speak, of our Be Our Guest campaign. And some of you are probably like, oh, I forgot we were doing that thing. Uh, the Be Our Guest campaign was the campaign we were doing to raise money for the refurbishing of the auditorium, which has been done. Uh, there were other things that were included in that as well as a part of the refurbishment that we have not done. Uh, the, so the, we had wanted to raise $150,000. We... Um, raised pledges of $85,000. And, uh, and so the board went ahead and voted to use uh, some reserves that we had to finish out the amount that we have not done everything. Uh, there are still about $14,000 apparently in pledges yet to come in. And so if you're one of those people who's like, oh, I forgot, I forgot we're supposed to give to that. Um, if you would just fulfill your pledge, that would be beneficial to the church. So we appreciate that. All right, if you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Um, As you're going to 1 Samuel 14, 1 Samuel 14 is packed. There's a lot of stuff in here. And uh, so I think we're going to have some fun this morning. Uh, Do we have any podcast fans here? Who loves podcasts? You listen to podcasts? I listen to podcasts all the time. You've probably noticed on your podcast, and if you haven't, you should look. There's a button you can choose to listen to your podcast at like one and a half times speed. Um, You can even do two times speed. Now, here's my fear. The fear for me is that I think I normally speak at one and a half times speed. Uh, I I know, I know, thank you, thank you. Uh, And then what's even worse is we have some second language people in here and I don't know how y'all are doing it, but you are learning English very well. Today might be between 1.75 and two times speed, and I will do my best, um, but if you'll listen to this later at a slower speed, you'll get to everything. Um, yeah, it'll be like an hour-long sermon, but it'll be good. All right, so um, today we're going to talk about a contrast in faith, and the contrast in faith that we're going to see here is a contrast in faith between King Saul and his son, Jonathan, whom we will continue to grow to love, I believe. Um, so this is where we are in 1 Samuel 14. Now, if you have not been with us to this point, here's what you need to know. That Israel is kind of a young nation at this point with their first king. And uh, they are already at war. <laughs> They're already at war. Uh, they've been fighting these Philistines um, who are a regional group. Uh, they're right there in what we would think of today as modern land of Israel, um, more located towards the southwest, but they've spread out. And um, they're at war. And so Israel has a very, very small army. They have about 3,000 soldiers that have rallied. Now, they, they're trying to draw the rest of the nation out, but the Philistines have showed up so strongly. I mean, last week we looked. There are tens of thousands, if not over 100,000 Philistines that have gathered to fight this very small army of Israel. And Israel is so scared that they've started to run. The men are hiding. Most of the men are hiding. <laughs> they're jumping in wells. They're hiding in tombs. They fled the country. I'm not even lying. Like, this is, Israel is panicked. So the men have left. And, um, and you've just got this very small army, and they are set up across from each other. Uh, so this is kind of the region we're going to be looking at. Um, this is uh, kind of northwest of the Sea of Galilee uh, in this mountainous region here around Ephraim. Uh, and right in the center of that blow-up picture, you'll see Gibeah. You'll hear that mentioned uh, today. But where we're talking about is kind of located in that area uh, of Israel. All right, so uh, here we are. Well, let's start right off in 1 Samuel 14, beginning in verse 1. So one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, 
Let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of McMash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. All right, so we start things right off here with Saul and Jonathan. Now, last week, I was talking about Saul and Jonathan, and I had mentioned that Saul probably started his kingship when he was late teens, early 20s. And then, of course, we saw him fighting beside his adult son. And somebody asked me last week, like, how does that math work? If you have a guy who's like 20 and he's got an adult son. So either Saul got started real early or the pastor's math was bad. Uh, let's go with my math was bad. And I thank the many of you who pointed that out to me. Um, and I'll just thank you for reading your Bibles. That's great. That's great. So I messed that up. Either way, uh, so we're going forth now. And uh, so it says, one day, Jonathan, the son of Saul. Now, I love this. They're at war with like a ridiculous amount of troops facing them. And so Jonathan goes to his armor bearer and is like, you know what? Let's go take it to a garrison of the Philistines, you and me. So he grabs one dude and they go to fight the Philistines. So uh, he's just gonna, he's gonna mix things up. So Saul is kind of sitting back waiting on God and Jonathan's going out to meet him. I love that picture. That's for me, that sums it up. Saul's sitting back waiting on God. Jonathan's going out to meet him. You know, it reminds me of, there's, there's kind of different people in life. Like, like imagine two people that want a job. One person is sitting home applying for jobs online and praying that God will provide. The other person is praying that God will provide, filling out stuff online, and then going around and knocking on the doors of businesses to meet people. Like, like there's two ways to do this. Either you sit back and you're kind of waiting for the will of God to go to you, or you're going out and you're meeting God in the field doing what he does. And so Jonathan is the guy who's like, I'm going to meet God out where the opportunity is. And, uh, and so Saul doesn't know. The others don't know. There's very few troops. I mean, quite literally, this is funny. There will be more people at Sandhills this morning than Saul had in his small army of the 600 people that gathered right around him, let alone the few thousand that were still faithful to him there. Uh, and so here's something else. Ahijah is this priest. Now, uh, the priest is wearing an ephod. Uh, you have to Google ephod on your phone and check it out. Uh, but ephod is this vestment that they would wear. It had these jewels in it. And inside the vestment was a pocket, typically, where they would carry these two stones. They were judgment stones uh, called the, the Urim and the Thummim. And so the Urim and the Thummim were like two stones that helped them decide the will of God. And there was and we don't know, but there's some way in which those two stones work together that the priest would, I don't know, throw them in the ground or the way he pulled them out uh, would reveal whether uh, God was given a yes or no answer or a right or wrong answer or something like that. And so that's gonna come into, uh, come into play this morning. But uh, what Jonathan decides to do is he decides to go um, test things out by going to this rocky outreach area. Now, here's what's neat about this. You can look online and find pictures of these places. This here this is the place. Like when we read here and it says he went to Bozes and Senna, this is the area of Bozes and Senna. In fact, you may be looking at the exact cliffs uh, that Jonathan and his armor bearer scaled. And so it would be like this. Just imagine, uh, and we don't know which side was which, but <laughs> probably a scholar does. I don't. Um, so Jonathan and his dude are going to go down one side of this into the ravine, and they're going to go to the other side, and then this is where this thing's going to play out. So here's where we're going to play out. And I'm going to tell you, I already love Jonathan. I love that he is bold. He's courageous. Uh, he sees this massive army. He grabs one dude and says, let's go challenge the Philistines. And I'm going to tell you this, if he hasn't done so already, 
Jonathan is about to embarrass your faith. Uh, this is great. Go to verse six. Verse six. Uh, unbelievable faith here. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of those uncircumcised. Now, the uncircumcised is a reference to not being the covenant people, uh, such as the Israelites. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. We just need to stop there. It's such a great line. That is such a great line. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan already realizes a great truth we need to realize. God doesn't need us. Uh, and now he uses us. He does use us. He doesn't need us. Like, so like, well, do we have enough people? Like, you don't have, enough, you don't have to have enough people. If you've got God, you're good. You're like, he's, he takes care of all the other people that we need. So there you go. Uh, and his armor bearer said to him, and I love this, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. All right, now, hold on a second. What? What are you doing? Like literally, what, you and one dude, you're gonna stand there, you're gonna look up and there's a garrison of them out there and we don't know how many exactly is gonna be in this, this garrison, although we're about to find a number of people. So they're standing up there and you're like, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go there. Now, before we go further, please remember, there are no weapons in Israel. There are two swords, Jonathan has one and Saul has one, meaning his armor bearer, I mean, he's carrying what, a, a club? Like, he doesn't have a sword. And so you got one sword, two guys, and you're ready to take on the army of the Philistines. And he's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. If we shout up and they say, come on up to us, then we're gonna know God is in it and he's given them into our hands. Now, I feel like I would think the opposite. Like, if they're like, scale this mountain and then fight us, like, then we're out. We're like, no, that's not happening. Because you're gonna, you're gonna scale that whole thing. And then you gotta fight when you get up there. So you gotta, you gotta climb all those rocks, get around, get up, and you gotta be like, you know, like, I'm gonna, you know, and you're gonna be fighting a battle? What, and you and your dude who doesn't even have a sword? Like, does this sound insane to anybody else? I mean, this is crazy. And he's like, that's how we're gonna know. And, uh, and then he goes up and they're like, well, come on up here and fight us. And he's like, God's in it. And we're like, dude, you need to pray a little bit more. Like, I don't think you're hearing from the Lord. Um, so anyway, uh, this is what happens. So he's come up with this idea. So uh, that was verse nine. Let's pick back up in verse nine. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stay, stand still in our place and we will not go up. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed him after him. At that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, uh, they killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. 
All right, so here's what I love about Jonathan compared to me, uh, and maybe a lot of us. There's two ways to look at a situation. You can either look with your eyes, or you can look with your faith. Jonathan looks with his faith. I tend to look with my eyes. I would have been the guy, like you wouldn't have wanted me as your armor bearer, and you wouldn't want me as Jonathan. Uh, I would, I'd have been Saul, going like, well, let's pray a little bit more. I'm not sure what God wants right now. Uh, so this is kind of where they are. I love this. He's ready to take them on. Uh, so they go up, and I mean, you know, picture this again. This is real. This is not make-believe. This isn't just a nice story. We're not learning moral lessons here. Uh, well, we probably are, but that's a different story. But the, the idea is, like, this is real stuff. So this dude literally climbs up, and he attacks the dude. Now, I said the armor bearer didn't have a weapon, right? Well, he didn't have a weapon at first, but when that first dude goes down, now he's armed. <laughs> so he gets a free sword. So, um, and they take out 20 men. And they take out 20 men, and then panic ensues. Now, there's reasons for this, but first we have to know this. It's, the panic ensued because God's involved. That's, that's what happened, that God has sent now a fear among the soldiers, and the earth quaked. So God also sent an earthquake. Now, this reminds us of, I think it was back in chapter 7. Probably should have checked that before the service. Uh, but it was like, this is when God fought for Israel over the Philistines, and he sent this massive thunderstorm and scared them to death uh, with these with magnificent uh, power display of God from the heavens, and then that helped Israel win. So this is the same kind of thing, that God's stirring this, this fear through the people. Now, there's a logical reason for this. One of the logical reasons would be, and you're going to hear two of them. There's another one second coming here in a little bit. The logical reason for this is you, this crag where they're climbing up, this is not the front line. The front line's out there where, where there's more flat area, like you're expecting an army to come. You're not expecting an army to scale a mountain. That doesn't make logical sense. Uh, it's not strategic. It's not tactical. So if you're part of the Philistines and you hear a battle taking place, and it's behind you, and you turn around, your first thought is probably, oh my gosh, they're scaling the mountain. They've already come over the top of the mountain. Like, there's already a war. Like, they're here. And so immediately you're screaming out, to arms, you know, and everybody's grabbing their swords. And, and here's a couple things you don't want, I think. Now, I've never been in the army. Never been, I've never fought in combat. I think one thing you don't want is a bunch of heavily armed soldiers suddenly in a panic. Like that's just gonna be, it's gonna be scary. And the first mistake is gonna lead to many, right? So this is, this is all tied up in this panic that God has sent, uh, all this stuff going on. So uh, let's, let's go a little bit uh, further in our story, verse 16. And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. All right, we'll pause there. So, you know, the watchman, these are the, these are people making sure you don't get invaded. So you put these people in high places. And so there's probably somebody watching and they're looking and they see battle has broken out in the heart of the Philistine camp. So they're looking over there and so they're shouting down. They're like, they're, they're fighting. Somebody's over there. They've started, somebody's at war with them. Like, and you're thinking, is that us? Who's there? And so that's immediately the question Saul starts asking, verse 17. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. All right, we're missing two people and they're at war. <laughs> like, there's this moment where, you're, I mean, like, you're going to see it right now. You're going to see it right now where Saul's like, what? What, what is going on? So, and then this is, a, I love this next. Okay. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. And so here's what he does. He's like, and you have to understand what he's praying about. He's praying about whether or not 
they should get involved. That's what he's praying about right now. So as, as one commentator I read, he said this about Saul. He said, you know, Saul is the kind of guy who prays when he should be acting and he acts when he should be praying. You know, the, it's just such a contrast. So now war is taken out and he's already been called to stand for Israel, to lead Israel. And he's like, we should pray about this. Now here's what he's praying about. He's praying about what he sees with his eyes. There's a multitude of soldiers. We have like, I have like 600 here. We've got a few thousand that have committed to us. Like, mm, I don't know if we can do this. Let's ask God. So he pulls back and now he's gonna pray. And he tells the priest. Now the priest had a different role in that day. I don't play that role today, by the way. Pastors don't play that role. Um, the priest literally could go to God and get an answer. And so he's gonna either with the ark, praying around the ark or pull out the uh, Urim and the Thummim, make this decision. So he goes to pray is what he's gonna do. I wish I had that power. I wish you could ask me like, hey, can you ask God if I should marry this person or take this job? And I could just be like, hey, Lord, you know, so-and-so wants to and be like, God says yes. You know, like, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I wish it did. It doesn't work that way. Um, so anyway, but this is what he's doing. So he goes and he asks. So then Saul, um, well, Saul was talking to the priest. The tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. All right, so there's a point where he goes, okay, let's pray about this. Let's pray if we should do anything. Let's pray. Would you pray? You ask God if we should do anything. And you just stand there watching it. And after a while, you're like, yeah, we should totally be fighting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forget it. Cancel the prayer. Let's go. And that, that's literally what it does. Cancel the prayer. Let's go. And so then they launch out and they're going to go fight. And this is what they see. Uh, let's keep going. Um, so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and they went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow. And there was a very great confusion. Now, the Hebrews had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp. Even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. All right, so hold on a second. Now, there's other stuff going on here. So there's a couple of groups here that we didn't hear about before. And this, this gives us a little more understanding of how this battle has broken out like it has. So there are certain soldiers that have been conscripted into the army of the Philistines and they're Hebrews. And it probably happened either like this. Like either one is I'm a Hebrew, I'm weighing the odds. We have a very tiny army. The Philistines have a massive army. You know what? I'm defecting. And so you're just gonna show up and be like, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I know you're fighting us, but listen, you give me a sword, I'll fight for you guys. So there's probably some of those people in the camp. Now there's another group of people that have been forced to, to serve, that they have, they've come to them probably in some sort of intimidation saying, listen, we will either kill you today or you will join our army and fight against your people. And there's been a bunch of Israelites apparently who are like, all right, that's what we're doing. So there's a bunch of Israelites that are in the midst of this camp. When they look out and they see that the battle has erupted and they too are probably thinking, our army is about to come up over the side of that cliff and start taking out these Philistines. They pull out their swords and they start hacking at the Philistines. So this is the thing. All the Philistines are looking like, oh my gosh, there's a battle. And then suddenly it's in your camp. People behind you are getting stabbed. There's somebody drawing a sword next to you, coming at you. It's a panic. So then everybody's got a sword out and you don't know who you can trust. That's why this thing is working. Now, again, you couldn't have planned this. There's no way you were sitting back logically thinking, well, if we attack, and then I bet, uh, like you're not putting these pieces together. You're just Jonathan going, I am looking with my faith, not with my eyes, and I'm just gonna see if God's in this thing. And he jumps up and he's like, God is in it, let's go. You know, like this is, this is the guy you would vote for to, to be the lead of whatever team you got. But this is, he's out there, and this is why this seems to be working. So uh, not only does that happen, so remember I told you a bunch of people had run away and were hiding? Verse 22, likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. 
So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Aven. Now, now we get to a very foolish uh, decision made by Saul. Verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now, when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and he dipped it in the honeycomb, and he put it in his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, cursed be the man who eats food this day, and the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. All right, so Saul made this rule. It wasn't even a God thing. It was a Saul thing. It was a pride thing. It's a knuckleheaded decision. So he puts it out there and he says, like, nobody can eat until we win this victory for sure. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you say that? That's, that's a bad idea. And maybe, maybe he's just thinking, well, maybe if, if everybody fasts, then we'll gain the Lord's favor. Like, you already have the Lord's favor. What are you doing? So Saul is making a really bad decision here. And talk about temptation. So he says this, oh, and then they walk into this forest and there's so much honey, it's just dropping out of the trees. Like, I don't even know what that would look like. I mean, it's dropping out of the trees, it's on the ground. There's honeycombs everywhere. Um, this is a crazy moment. And you've got this entire army that is hypoglycemic. <laughs> like, they have no blood sugar right now. They need something, they walk in. And so here's the thing, God had provided God had provided an abundance of resources for the army. God is taking care of the army, and Saul is standing between his people and God. He is preventing them from getting the blessing that God has offered them. So this, this is one of the reasons he's fallen out of favor. And for those of us who love honey, by the way, any honey lovers here? And uh, honey is just the best. Uh, so, uh, like, I can't imagine what it would be like. You're just sitting there starving, looking at this honey just dripping from the trees, just killing you. And even Jonathan is like, you know. Now my dad ruined the victory. Like, why would he do that? So he's already frustrated with the, the whole thing as well. Uh, verse 31. So they struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ahijan, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. All right, let's hold off here. So... Because Saul is a knucklehead and made a bad call, now it has hit evening. So when they crossed into evening, Saul's oath expired, which means you're all free to eat. And so they're taking these animals. Now, I've always, and I've always thought this too in the old days. Like, can you imagine a day when like, if you're deciding, especially a lot of you ladies who are getting dinner ready, uh, although this might fall into guy territory because a lot of barbecuing going on. Uh, like, it's like, oh, we're gonna eat tonight? All right, I'll kill the animal this afternoon and make sure it's ready in time for dinner. Like, that's a whole thing. Like, you got to kill it, you got to butcher it, you take the meat, you're preparing it, you're cooking it. Like, that's, that's not just like, we're going to nuke a meal and we'll be eating in three minutes. Like, it just doesn't happen that way. And so, they're just starving. 
And so they're like, start a fire. I'm going to butcher this thing. We'll throw it on there, you know, 10 seconds each side. And we're going to eat very, very rare meat tonight. <laughs> like they're starving. And this, now you're against the law of God. So there's literally a law of God that says you're not supposed to eat this uh, blood. The blood is part of the sacrificial part of the animal. It's not to be eaten. Uh, but now they're breaking uh, these really godly rules because of a non-godly rule that was thrust upon them. Uh, but here's where it gets weird as well. Um, Let's pick back up in verse 33. So then they said, they told Saul, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating uh, with the blood. And he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Did you catch the request that Saul made? Roll a large stone here and have the people kill them here. Like, I got a better idea. Why don't you walk a quarter mile and stand by a large stone? <laughs> like, why? What? These people are dying, dude. They have no energy. And now you want them to grab the biggest stone they can find and roll it to you? Because I'm sure it'll be perfectly cylindrical and we'll just roll great on that ground. Like, the, like there's a part of you that's like, if, if you were his right-hand man, you'd be like, this dude is killing me. Like, I, like, you can't say anything. He's king, right? So you're just like, oh my gosh. So this is uh, just uh, one more way that, that he's, he's falling apart here. And you, get, you guys have been to that moment where you're starving before. We've all been, like, you're like, you're famished. Like, you, I, I'm gonna eat everything right now. Like, we're going out to dinner. We're going to a buffet. Like, I'm getting an appetizer and dessert. We're going to CC's. I'm eating all the pizza I can stand, and I am pounding down some cinnamon rolls. Um, I'm going to Five Guys. I'm getting the double cheeseburger and a large Cajun fry, and I'm not sharing with anybody. Uh, I'm getting the value meal and the side sandwich. Like, I'm doing... I'm pounding it down, right? This is where they are. They're so hungry. They're so starving. They're just destroying stuff. And uh, it, it just gets ugly really quick. But now, though, we have this problem. We have this problem that Saul, Saul caused, other than the eating with blood. Verse 36. Then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God. And so I love this. The priest is like, okay, listen, Saul, before you do this, let's, let's just make sure God's in it, right? Let's just not, let's not get crazy. Let's make sure God's in it. Let's pause and pray. Uh, and so Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. And then he said to Israel, you shall be on one side and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son, Jonathan, and Jonathan was taken. Okay, so again, what a really goofy division of people. <laughs> like, we're going to do all Israel on one side and me and Jonathan on the other. Roll the dice, see what happens. And so the priest is like, you know, you rolled a 20. All right, so now it's like, well, what? It's just these two. All right, well, now let's roll and see who sinned, me or my son. Like, Saul, so, dude, come on, man. Like, it's two people. You know whether or not you broke 
a rule that you made. So this is what's going on here. So then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey uh, with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. And here I am, I will die. Now, let's understand something about Jonathan. Jonathan is a warrior full of faith. He is not at all surrendering his life to his dad. I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to hear that he's like, I'm sorry, Father, I've sinned against you. You can kill me. Like, he is not saying that. He's like, Dad, I tasted a little honey. Now I need to die? And he's just looking at his dad. It's like, is this this how we're gonna do this? Like, you would not have a victory if it were not for the faith and the courage of Jonathan. And now you're gonna kill him because of your homemade rules, your man-made rules. That's That's your thought here. And Saul said, verse 44, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. All right, first of all, let's be very careful about oaths that we take before the Lord. He just said, hey, basically, Jonathan, you or me? Like, hmm, hold on. You don't really want God making that choice. <laughs> like, I don't, think, I don't think you understand where the problem lies in this situation. So then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Let's talk about how this is resolved. I think it's beautiful. So here he is. And like Saul, I think he literally would have killed his own son there. And so he's like, all right, here's the deal. I judge you, we're gonna kill you. And then he looks at his army. Now let's talk about his army that's standing around him, which you, by the way, had famished all day. These people have been killing people all day. They started the day unarmed. They're all now fully armed. And he said there, I am gonna do this to you, I swear. And then the people standing around him, he looks at them. And you can almost see hands going to sword hilts. Oh, you wanna swear something? Here's something we're gonna swear. We swear that as surely as the Lord lives, you will not touch your son. And so he looks at every soldier against him. He's like, I was just kidding. I wasn't gonna do it anyway. No, I was just, you know, I was just messing. Like, we gotta be serious out here. Just keeping it real, you know? And, and then he rolls on. So like, this is Saul. This is the character of Saul. This is what you're seeing. Uh, so the dude is not a great leader. He's a bit of a mess. But doesn't mean we can't learn stuff. And here's what we do learn. So as I think about lessons learned from this passage, uh, things that, that we can apply, the thing that really strikes me is uh, the comment I made earlier. You can either see a situation with your eyes or you can see it with your faith. Either see a situation with your eyes or with your faith. Jonathan is just a man of faith. He's like, I expect God to work. I'm gonna show up and see what he does. And I'm gonna offer myself in the process. And I just, that whole idea, <clears throat> there's something about showing up to war and trusting God to fight. It takes courage to show up. It takes faith to trust God. And so then I'm wondering this, like, are, is there an area in your life right now where God's waiting on you to show up? Like, you've got this battle. You're afraid of it. You don't know what to do. I even wonder if, if we become a bit like Saul, where we say we're praying about something, but the prayer is just a mask for us being too deeply afraid to do anything. Like, I just wonder if like, we're using our faith as an excuse sometimes where God's like, you already know my will. Get to work. And so I want a faith like Jonathan's. I want a faith where I show up and I just expect God's gonna do something. Now, Jonathan didn't presume upon the will of God. He didn't say, I'm gonna go out there and God will do this. He said, I'm gonna show up and see if God shows up. And if he's in it, we're gonna accomplish a great victory. And if he's not, that's okay. He's not in it. 
And so, I mean, I'm thinking, that's what I want to be. I want to I be the guy who shows up and is kind of ready for God to work. And so I was thinking about, like, in my own life, like, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to show up to war and just expect God's going to do his thing, right? I'm going to come with courage and faith. And I think courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid. I think courage means that despite the fact that I am afraid, I'm still going to show up and expect God to work. And then I was thinking about that just even as a church. Like, what big thing is God calling us to as a church? That he's like, hey, listen, just show up and watch what I do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the moment this morning. Just to reflect on this, uh, this real event that happened. <laughs> Jonathan, this man of amazing faith and courage, just shows up and is ready for you to work. Father, in our own lives, is there a place right now, just for, for all of us gathered here, is there a place right now in our life where you're expecting us to show up? And that maybe you're not working right now because you're waiting for us to take that step and meet you out on the battlefield. Lord, is there anybody here this morning who's struggling with faith, just struggling really to, to believe, really struggling to trust? Lord, we would just say this, please forgive us, Lord. Forgive us sometimes for being a people of weak courage and weak faith. And let us be the people who are reminded that if God's gonna save, he can save by many or by few, but he definitely expects people of faith to show up. Lord, help us as individuals and a church to be those people of faith. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.